Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, my dear friends, fans, and colleagues, no matter where you are and when you're listening. Welcome back to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. And as I uh, always like to say, if you're listening live, uh, you can uh, set your clocks to us. Uh, that means it is 11 a.m. on Wednesday, and I thank you for returning, and I thank you for your listener loyalty. And uh, if you liked that, um, that uh, it's actually a, a campfire chant uh, put out by Reclaiming that you were hearing uh, to start the show, uh, it's called Weave and Spin, as if you... <laughs> probably couldn't figure that out. Uh, but no, Reclaiming has a great um, uh, a CD or uh, out there uh, called Campfire Chance, and uh, I just love all of them. And that's, uh, that's one. You know, you might want to take a look, uh, you know, for yourself or for your group. And uh, as is always, you know, this show is my guilty pleasure. I love to be the one uh, inviting the guests and choosing the topics and asking the questions. Uh, it really has uh, helped broaden my knowledge over the years. And uh, today is no different. Um, I am really excited to be talking to Shelly Enteen. And uh, she is going to be talking to us about the Druids, uh, particularly, um, you know, maybe the life of uh, Druid priestesses, and uh, let me tell you a little bit about her, and then I'll uh, kind of describe what uh, we're going to cover um, under that umbrella of, uh, you know, of the Druids in the show. Uh, Shelley Enteen, uh, she's an author, astrologer, she's uh, also an interfaith reverend, she's an aromatherapist, uh, educator, Reiki master, public speaker. I love this lady. She wears lots of hats. Uh, she posts daily astrology forecasts on Facebook and weekly forecasts on her blog at ShellyNTeen.com. And she says, after moving to the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains in Southern California in 2005, she began leading and participating in ceremonial circles for the eight Celtic cycles of the year. Uh, she's also published uh, this trilogy that we're talking about today, uh, Revealing the Drew with Legacy, the inspired memoir of a dark age Druid priestess. And these and other books by Shelley can be found on her author page at Amazon. And uh, I have to say, I, um, I don't jump at the chance to um, interview fiction authors often, but I did with Shelley uh, because I really do want to use the show to teach and raise awareness and enlighten. And, you know, I'm not just interested in a love story necessarily. You know, I want to know that the author has dug deep and, you know, filled the novel with, um, you know, historical or, um, you know, other types of of information that could help uh, inform the audience as well as entertain. And I could tell Shelley had definitely done that uh, with this topic of, um, you know, of, of the Druids. So let me say, uh, you know, uh, he, we are going to be talking about that, obviously, but I think we're going to, you know, as time allows, we're going to specifically focus on the life for women and what is now uh, the UK or England, um, that area there, uh, before the advent of Christianity and um, 
why and how things changed. Uh, we're going to discuss the Druid goddesses and neo-Druid goddess myths, uh, particularly related to how this information can help modern women today. Um, eight festivals on the Druid calendar will get our attention as well. Uh, and, you know, we might even dip our toe into the King Arthur legend and, um, you know, how that's different and, uh, and and all of that good stuff. I know that's always a popular subject too, you know, because King Arthur, you know, uh, if you don't know, is kind of an enigma. Is he a composite of a lot of different people? Was he real? All of that sort of stuff. So anyway, uh, Shelly Enteen, welcome, welcome, welcome to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. Well, um, you know, I can tell you really did uh, do your homework, um, uh, and I want to hear all about it. Uh, but I, from our, our previous converse, conversation, uh, I did want to ask you, um, how did you decide to write about the Druids? Because I think you told me there's an interesting story about meeting a woman on a train. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> it's very very interesting story because uh, I never studied anything about the Celtic background. I have quite a lot of it in my DNA family line. Um, I was really going in different directions, meditation and Native American studies and all of this. And But I had gone on a trip to see actually the workshop of a famous evolutionary astrologer in London, and when I was going over there for that, someone said, you must get in touch with a friend who lives in Glastonbury. And I'd been there uh, once before. I had been to Glastonbury and touched the stones. I was fascinated by that aspect of mysticism, but I really wasn't, again, going to delve into anything. And I got in touch with this person. She said, yes, come out after your class and, you know, have a little visit and so I was doing that and I already knew that I was coming back for part two of this class so this was May and I had lived in England years ago and they wanted us back in December and the class was good enough that I was willing <laughs> to go there because it's not the most comfortable time to be in London but mm -hmm. here I am, traipsing around and having a lark with her and a couple of guy friends of hers. And the last place they took me was a place called Cadbury Castle, which is one of the many places that people think was Camelot, King Arthur's Camelot. And they were claiming that they had the bones of Arthur and Guinevere in the Abbey in Glastonbury. And someone had already told me that that was not true. But um, when I walked up the slope to Cadbury Castle, for some reason I was overwhelmed with the thought, not even close. He was not even close to this place. Now, I didn't say anything to my friends because, first of all, how would I know? And secondly, I didn't want to ruin the fun we were having. But right from there is when I got on the train and there was only one seat left and it was across from this delightful woman who was already busy chatting away to these fellows that were on the train. And as soon as I took out my journal to start writing, she turned her attention to me. And when I got to the point of telling her where I'd been in Glastonbury and I said what I just said about Cadbury Castle, she said, Oh, no, my dear. 
Arthur wasn't in England. Caerleon in Wales, that's where Camelot was. <laughs> you know, I mean, I was okay. And, you know, she told me that she was the head of an Arthurian society in Cambridge, so I figured I should listen a little bit to the rest of what she said. So we went on in this conversation, and then she said, pointing her index finger at my chest, um, after telling me the Mists of Avalon did a lot to turn the figure of Morgan Le Fay into a human. And yet, and now she's pointing at me, someday someone will write a book about Nimue and the truth will be told. And I'm like feeling this index finger going in. She knew nothing about me. She didn't know I was a writer. She didn't know I was already into all these alternative subjects. You know, she didn't know any of that. Um, but she seemed to, and that happens to me in England sometimes also. But um, I felt a, a dislike of what she said because Nimue is a very evil character in the Arthur legends. She seduces Merlin. She traps him in a cave. You know, I'm thinking inside myself, why would I want to spend that kind of time with her? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. this is not mm-hmm. my idea of something to do. So, you know, she went on and then she hooked me. Um, she didn't know I was coming back or anything, but she said, you know, you must go to the pub in Caerleon where Alfred Lord Tennyson wrote The Lady of Shalott. Well, if you know the beautiful music, the Celtic-style music, you know of Lorena McKennett, perhaps. And she was one Mm -hmm. of my favorites. And on the album I was listening to, she was singing her version of Lady of Shalott. And it was my favorite song, so that was the hook. So I got in touch with my friends. I was coming back in December, and it was a couple of days after my birthday. I would be out there. And I asked, could we go to the pub in Caerleon? And she said, yes, it wasn't far. It's really not very far. That's one of the great things when you go to the UK. You can get around pretty easily to different places. But um, it was when I was there, which your you know, listeners may understand the concept of the hologram, which is everything still happening in the same place, you know. Um, Simultaneously, even, you mean? Yes, it's it's on a spectrum of energy. So there I am. Mm-hmm. And we're in the pub. We had a great time. Then we met a, an older man in town, which is a lovely town, uh, who was telling, he was like a storyteller, like a bard. He was wonderful. And then we went up the road, and there's a tremendous area that is the ruins of a Roman fort. And I didn't know until... After I was writing the book and I started looking and researching that that was one of the largest fortresses that the Romans put in during their occupation. And so then it made sense to me why Arthur would have put himself there. You know, and by the way, I do believe he's real. Um, okay. What I would tell you, if if I have a chance to tell you now, I mean, is that enough of the story of why? Because in the hologram is where they got me. Okay. That's how. That's how it, okay. I got home and started writing. And it was before Microsoft Word. It was 2000. And I was writing with a pa- paper and pen. 
And these mm, words wow. just started coming to me. And wow. I, you know, I can tell you what she said, the first thing she said, if you think you might like to hear it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've got, I'm hooked now, so I want to hear more. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, the first book is called The Last Priestess. And so she is the first voice from the other world. The other world is something that the Welsh call, what other people might call the astral plane. You know, this Mm -hmm. is... You know, lots of different things happen in other worlds, but she's speaking from there in Chapter 1. I am Nimue, or so the storytellers call me, unless I am Vivienne, the Lady of the Lake, or another name of their own device. Of these false names, I prefer Nimue, as it speaks of memory, and that is where I dwell. In memories of an age they cannot truly capture, but which I know well. And she goes on and on, and she talks about how the stories that were spun around her created a web so tight that she's the one that truly lives in trapped in tunnels, like she's supposed to have trapped Merlin in the stories, unable mm-hmm. to speak out against the false depictions of me and the priestess sisters. But the thing is that they understood this, and this is me just talking now, not her, um, she promises now to tell her story because the timing, the cycle, the old cycle has ended and a new cycle has begun. And the people are born now who are seeking the Druid wisdom. And she, said, she tells us that they lived through, in the other world, the time of the great distortions and all the different stories that were written by Cistercian monks and, and the Christianized United Kingdom, Um, what I would tell you is that they were happy to have that happen because it kept the interest in them alive. So in other words, yeah, I think you were just about to say it. So even if the stories were distorted, they weren't forgotten so they can be reborn again now. They can be reborn and people are still curious. I mean, do you yeah. know that there's – I got a book that was a thick book of all the searches for Arthur's Camelot, Arthur's Battlegrounds, Arthur this, Arthur that. There are so many different places that claim him. You know, England, obviously, Glastonbury claimed his bones, which weren't there. Um, <laughs> Scotland claims him. Cornwall claims him. Brittany, you know, it's, um, yeah. it's a phenomena. And you wonder right. why. Why is it that phenomena? And these books tell you, and they tell you why they'll never find him also. (laughs) Okay, dangling that little carrot. (laughs) A little carrot, Um, but it's true. It was like, and I did not research in advance. I took her, I was inspired. I didn't hear her voice. It, It isn't like that, but I was inspired to write scenes and then I would check, some of them I checked immediately because if they were telling me about a burial procedure or something, um, I, you know, I don't want to be an imposter, so I would search, mm-hmm. you know. Right. Um, when I claimed Arthur the Pendragon was from this area, southeast Wales, 
I searched and I found out the tribe that lived there, the Silurus tribe, was never completely subdued by the Romans and had the greatest warriors. They had the Uther hmm. Pen Dragons, and that's a Welsh phrase that means the most terrible of the fighters. You know, it's it's not a surname. It's not Arthur Pendragon. Right, you don't find him in the phone book that way. <laughs> Got you. Well, let so. me ask you a couple questions that just popped up in my head. Okay, so mm. first of all, let me tell you that one of the fiction books that got me on this path, along with nonfiction stuff like Rhea Eisler and Merlin Stone, mm-hmm. was um, The Mists of Avalon. I mean, uh, and that whole retelling of you know the you know the Arthurian legend from the priestess Morgan Lefay's point of view, I was glued to that book. Glued I was to that also. Book. And it is a all my friends book so book were. maybe eight or nine hundred pages or something. You know, it's very very um, big, huge. Yeah. But um, I'm trying, you know, I didn't connect the dots real well on the um, the, the fort in uh, was it Wales? Um, or were yes. you saying Caroline that that was where Wales. Arthur came from? Yes, that is so that where was Arthur's it, domain. You thought? Well, here's the thing. Um, if we go back into this era, first of all, if you search what happens in some of the tales. The Druid priests landed from an inundation. There was a great inundation. The Bible calls it the Great Flood. Um, It happened. And we know because now they're finding the places that are underground (laughs) that, Mm -hmm. that have been covered by water. So the ones in the north of that land mass went to the highest place. And if you look up the highest place, in the United Kingdom, you will find Mount Snowdon in Wales, Snowdonia. Okay. Okay. So that is where they say they began to to be, and then of course they came down and spread out. Mm-hmm. But it isn't that there wasn't a priestess circle on Glastonbury. There was, and in fact, in the Druid tradition, this is what would happen you would be initiated as a priestess. You would have these gifts to give in service to communities, right? The priests mm-hmm. had, um, they weren't lesser and better than, but the priests had their own areas of, you know, they would be the council for the law. They would be, you know, teaching the children and things like that. But the, the women were the great healers and also, you know, were very psychic and using working energy, working weather. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you had what were called circles of nine. And nine is the number that is so important because, as you mentioned earlier, the eight cycles of the agricultural calendar. Mm-hmm. This is the ninth is the mysterious moment where the end becomes the beginning. Okay. So the ninth the ninth priestess was the one that would be the head of the circle. And she would have eight priestesses around her. And wherever there was a healing well, you had a circle of nine. That's where they would, you know, pretty much be stationed or some very important mm-hmm. portal space or, you know, something like that. 
So Glastonbury certainly has that. It has Chalice Well Garden. It doesn't just have the tour. And the tour, according to the book I was given, the information that it had a stone circle on top of it. And in book one, she does visit Glastonbury Tour. She visits Chalice Well, which is right across from the tour. And she visits Avebury. Because, and she visits Stonehenge, actually, because there's going to be a big experience there that she's going to see in book three. So okay. it's a process. It's, it's not that what Marion Zimmer Bradley was saying was wrong, but what it is is that she was saying it at a certain time. And this is why they were telling me that, okay, you started in 2000, you're still not finished with it in 2013. <laughs> you must go to <laughs> Wales now. And I did. I had to, to download book two. But the thing is, at that time, the church was still very powerful. They were still banning books. They were still banning movies. And that mm-hmm. is really why even my agent suggested that at the end of Mists of Avalon, Morgan Le Fay becomes a nun. Mm, yeah. And when I read that, even back then, it hit me funny. I, I mm-hmm. wasn't quite, it didn't, I wasn't, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, that. yeah, I get just, it, I get it. Just just go poof. <laughs> yeah, 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 like everything you've believed and lived is suddenly going to evaporate and now you're something else. Right, right. But also, now this is one of the things, again, I learned all of this during the writings of this book. I was very into that, the Mist of Avalon, the Arthur legends, the Excalibur, the movie. You know, I loved them. They were great, you know. But I didn't know until the writing of this book that that famous love triangle of Arthur, Guinevere, and Lancelot was written Mm -hmm. by Cistercian monks for Eleanor of Aquitaine in the 12th century because it was a new courtly romance, chivalry. This was all coming in. Uh, and the, yes. So it so was a total missing. literary advice, device. Yes, it was beautiful entertainment. We all love it. But well, also, and it was so sad, too, but it, it felt like it was this shaking your finger at... Um, you know, the love between uh, Lancelot and Guinevere, too, you know, I mean, it gave it, you know, she became like an Eve, you know, the the temptress and, you know, the evil woman again, you know, kind of um, story. Not only that, (laughs) but you're the first person who's ever said that to me. You're the only other one, and you have the book about abuse that we don't recognize. Yeah. Yeah. Every female character written by the misogynistic Cistercian monks who would not communicate with females of any kind except the Virgin Mary. They were like completely devoted to that feminine, but mm-hmm. no other. So, yes, his mother was also, you know, duped <laughs> into committing adultery. Arthur is a bastard child. Right, right. And right. then you have the evil druid priestesses showing mm-hmm. up. So no matter how much we women love this book and this story, we are painted negatively. 
Yeah, and and I will tell you, Shelley, that um, I realize that now, but you know, it didn't even cross my mind when I read the book. You know, because, of course not. Because we're we're so enmeshed in it, it get, it's like the hidden abuse. You know, it, it reinforces these ideas uh, that, and, and we don't even we don't even see it anymore. You know, not only that. But here's what Nimue says about why she didn't come forward, okay? <laughs> it's really, it's, it's patiently she's waited. While the centuries unfolded exactly as my lady sisters and the Druid priests had foretold, my own story has the power to change beliefs and empower potentials, but the veil over truth became so thick that had I tried to speak, my words would have ricocheted off dense walls of fear or been buried in the quicksand of despair. And so, this tale has been kept carefully cloaked in silence, along with other truths about our time, sacred sites, and ways. Wow. Wow, I can relate to that on so many levels. I can't even tell you, you know, um, I mean, just, you know, women ourselves, you know, we've been so wounded in this patriarchy that, you know, we, we, we don't even want to see and hear reality. You know, we wear blinders, we stifle each other, we gaslight each other, you know, because some of us are willing to see it and hear it and say it, and some of us are still... You know we're in the shackles, um, right? And jeez, uh, absolutely. Um, right. And, and then just turn on the though, news. You know, are you yeah. referring to that too? How everything out in the world right now is disinformation versus truth? Oh, that is legendary and literally legendary. There's this wonderful woman on the BBC named Lucy Worsley. And you can see her on your public television stations usually. And she's revealing like royal myths and secrets and the incredible PR for Elizabeth I that is the story of the Armada that we all believe. <laughs> it's faux news. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. It's been that well, way. Well, like yeah. so much of it, right? I mean, I think about just our Thanksgiving stories here in the United yes. States about the, you know, the Indians and the pilgrims. You know, we don't hear right. about the pilgrims giving the Indians blankets with smallpox. You know? Right. Um, right. It, it, it feels like we're such snowflakes that we can't hear truths. You know, we have Republicans here in the United States that want to ban well, books or re- rewrite the Civil War. Take away like all no the slavery. women's rights. Yeah, and take away yes. women's rights that we finally got. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, and, and I... Well, and I and before we end, I hope we have time. I really do want to talk to you about what it's like doing what you do in Southern Cal- in South Carolina. But you have me fascinated, Shelley. <laughs> if we well, don't do, if we don't finish today, you're going to have to come back. <laughs> well, I'd love to because I was fascinated going through it. And the reason that I couldn't stay with an agent I was talking to you about earlier was because she wanted me to take all the training out and when you get to book two she is giving you her training i mean there are tools in here that you can use i mean they're just uh, and they're powerful and i thought i knew everything there was to know about elements until i read this book 
and my shamanic friends are saying the same thing. They're taking some of what she tells us and they're incorporating it. So let me, okay, so, and and I want to, I don't want to disappoint listeners who tune in because we said we're talking about the life of Druid priestesses, that we could take this in so many different directions and, and maybe the stuff we don't get to today, I'll just have you come back. Um, So we'll, we'll cover it all as much as you feel like you want to put out there without giving too much away about the books. But um, so, so let me just go back to what you said about how this information came to you. I mean, yes. I don't, I consider myself, you know, uh, I, you know I, I have some psychic ability, but I know women who have so much more than me. And, and, and I don't know, I think I'm claircognizant, actually, and I'm mm-hmm. wondering, maybe you're the same. We get these ideas, and it's not like right. we've heard a voice or... Um, right. you know, or, or it seems mystical. It's just an idea that pops into our head from nowhere. Is yes. that where all these, how these downloads, I'm calling them in air quotes here, is that yes. your ins- how you got your inspiration, your ideas to know about these practices? Well, yes. That's the short answer because this is um, a channel. It's like having a channel into a certain thing. I was writing tons of poet, poetry when I moved up here. I was very busy in an active practice of you know, alternative healing, aromatherapy teaching, and all of this in Florida. When I moved up here, I had time and I got into a poetry group and the same thing would happen to me. A poem would download. And even in Florida, I downloaded a poem called Rhiannon's Dance like while I was working on someone <laughs> and it's a rhyming bardic poem so it's it there is there are messages that want to be delivered and i somehow became that messenger and i really think that i was chosen because i do have the dna and perhaps a past life although i was not this person i could not have written it if i was her Mm-hmm. I would have been. I mean, I'm emotional enough about it. <laughs> if it was me, I don't think I could have, you know, really done it. But I was also completely blank slate about any of the neo druid information, so they didn't have to push through that. Mm-hmm. And I want to say what I mean about that because I am not saying anything negative about the neo druids. In fact, I think Obad. And the people in it—that's the um, order of bards—and it's it's here in this country. It's on Facebook. You can find it. O B O D. Um, they're in England and everywhere. Wonderful people. And I was, you know, introduced at a certain point to those people, and also to a Welsh history and mythology professor who really got me clear because. You know, the Dark Age and the Druids leaving nothing was an absolutely on-purpose design because the Druids were extremely wise and very well-educated. This is There is so much more going on in life than we thought was going on also, which I learned. And she's of the late 400s AD is where she begins her life this life and they do talk about other lifetimes which was in the um, Christian 
belief system until the Emperor Justinian took it out. So it was accepted in her time also. But they had the massacre of the Druid priests on Anglesey in the first century. The Romans came and tried to get rid of them. And they had to come up with a plan because they knew their time was you know, not going to last for very long. And it would be in the, in the middle to late 500s that the edict would come from Rome that you could have no other church than the Roman church and everybody had to surrender to the Roman pope. And they enforced that with weapons, you know. So there was just a brief time, a few hundred years, for the Druids to put in a plan, a secret, it's a secret plan, I won't tell you what it is, because you have to wait until book three <laughs> to find out. <laughs> and she has to wait, too. She has to wait to find out what her part is. Once you get through this book, you'll understand why. You will okay. understand everything. But the reason they kept everything out of writing, and they didn't even have the bards telling the same histories and things after that. The bards went on for quite a while. Um, they knew it would be distorted. So it was better if nothing was known. Mm-hmm. It was better for people to think that they didn't know how to write, <laughs> which was completely not true. Um, but instead of, if they distorted it, you would think that's what it was. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't question, you wouldn't wonder, and you wouldn't ever find out the truth. So the Neo-Druids wow. came up recently, like in the 1800s, suddenly the mind started, and this is very Uranian, because the planet Uranus and electricity and all of that was starting to quicken and open the mind. So they and and Uranus is new and inventive but it's also antiquity. So people started going into this, let's see what 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 do I think they were all about? You know, so they started writing these books and just like me, I'm sure they were bringing in a lot of truth. You know, I I it's the only way you can get it is by going that way. Yeah, because you right. have to receive it. And, right. you know, it makes sense when you get it. problem is that the, the beginnings of the writings of the mythologies in Wales, particularly, is in fully Christianized Wales. So you have a culture that's already been forced into about 500 years of Christian belief, and they took the divine feminine, as you know, out I mean, mm-hmm. you know, Jesus' mother, we don't know anything about her except she was this woman. Why did they choose her in this garden? <laughs> you know? what, yeah. what were her qualifications? You know? <laughs> we don't know. Right, right. But she's, she's the intermediary, so she's like the secretary, right, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in our modern culture. Mm-hmm. So we had taken that very slowly eroded the divine feminine and the the nun compared to the priestess. I mean, this this priestess and all of her lady sisters and every druid priestess was strong. They were very strong people. 
They were very learned people. They had tremendous abilities. So they were not um, slaves to anything or to anyone. Okay. They had their vow. So what what would their life had been what would their life would have been like? Was it all about uh resisting Roman oppression and keeping the arts um you know again air quotes the all of the different arts and beliefs and practices alive or well um, yes, some of i mean okay, so what you have you have some towns. They come along the coastline and get bigger because of all the trading that was going on. People don't realize how much trading was going on. The west coast of Wales would be, because of all the mining and other things, would be trading all the way down into the Mediterranean and the eastern coast of mm-hmm. Europe, of the western coast of Europe. The other part of the UK would be going to... France, Germany, and, you know, the Scandinavian countries for trade. So there was a lot going on. So wherever you had the big, big cities, you wouldn't eventually, by the time she is here in the 400s, they have disappeared from that area. There is no circle of nine there. There is, you know, it's it's the really Mm -hmm. the twilight. It's the twilight. But in the country, you know how they call people pagans, which means people of the country? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The people out there were holding on to their festivals. Because you talk mm-hmm. about the eight-cycle calendar, this was marking the different times of the year and the agricultural experience. And there were festivals that were you know, people say worship the goddess. Well, to me, the word worship has a different connotation to us. You know, it involves separation from mm-hmm. the, yeah. the object. And yeah. that wasn't how they experienced this. You know, this yeah. is, it's hard for us. We can't quite get it, you know. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you're saying that, you know, because recently since I moved here to Southern Oregon, <clears throat> um, mm-hmm. I, I would have actually, you know, Southern California, uh, where I learned all about goddess spirituality, it took me moving here and going to a center for spiritual living mm-hmm. to kind of get that concept because even mm-hmm. in all of our goddess spirituality teachings, goddess was separate from us, more or less. You know, and you had to bargain with her and, you know, have a reciprocal relationship. But, you know, these CSL teachings, it's more like we are a part of it. She is you and you are her and Mm -hmm. you are in that flow. You are part of it. And I think that's what you're saying. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the thing is, you know, they didn't just have a goddess that they were like, you know, having pictures of her and (laughs) statues of her and, you know, praying to her. But they had also the male creator. I mean, they knew the the yin and the yang. They knew. Mm -hmm. I mean, they knew Mm -hmm. they couldn't get a lamb without a ram. 
You know what I mean? Like they weren't, Mm -hmm. they were really not stupid the way they seem to be when we think of them, you know, and they tell us, they didn't know what reproduction, you know, they knew what, what they knew was that there was this energy that created life and it was in everything and it was interactive creation was completely interactive and then there was this manifested creation that you could touch and you could feel and you could eat and you could make a baby and there would be a manifested creature this is the feminine this is the divine feminine Mm -hmm. aspect so it was the honoring honoring of it not the worship of it Got it. And and Got that's it. what Native Americans are like that, too. Um, and we are lucky to be able to meet Native Americans because they're so much closer to our time. Yeah. That it wasn't yeah, so exactly. far back, you know. <clears throat> Shelley, I have to take a break. I am late. <laughs> I've oh, been so fascinated with our conversation. Um, no, no, no. Uh, this is wonderful. Um, uh, hang on a second because I need to tell my listeners about uh, uh, some things actually going on that they might want to be aware of, and then we'll get back okay. to all of this wonderful information. Great. So first, um, I need to tell you folks out there uh, that uh, you have the opportunity uh, to meet uh, Melody Rosecrans, and uh, you would want to meet her if uh, you are looking for a credible, authentic, evidential medium. Uh, She's also an Akashic record reader. Uh, You can learn about your purpose, your past lives, Uh, or uh, you could uh, have sessions with her as um, an awakening life coach. And uh, I've actually had experience with Melody, and she actually told me some stuff that uh, she could not possibly have known. She was absolutely amazing. And, um, uh, you know, I think she's a great source to remove uh, blocked or stagnant energy, like, you know, clean up your chakras. Um, She will uh, help ignite your awakening. Uh, Melody has received um, several incredible reviews. Uh, One of them wrote this about Melody. Melody is amazing. Our classes are informative, genuine, a real eye and heart opener to true spirituality. As for one-on-one sessions, I highly recommend them. Each one is a new experience on your journey. You will be comfortable and well taken care of. Another set about Melody Rosecrans. What a great reading. Melody was able to connect with my mom and gave me specifics to put any doubt I had at ease. What a great feeling knowing my mom approves of my recent decisions and is watching over me. Can't wait to have another reading to see who else she connects with. So if any of that piques your interest, if you would like to avail yourself of Melody's gifts, um, she has appointments in person or via Zoom. Uh, You can reach her at this website. It is invoke and raw.com i'll spell it because it's a little unusual i-n-v-o-k-e-a-n-d-r-a.com or you can also call her to uh, schedule an appointment uh, 541-291-1240 
And uh, we also have some other good stuff happening here in Southern Oregon. Um, at the very end of May, May 31st to June 3rd, uh, there is a renewal retreat coming up. And uh, I am, have actually been invited to be uh, one of their main facilitators uh, on the on the uh, on a Saturday night. I'm going to be talking about herstory and women's agency and the feminine wound and how to heal it and good stuff like that. You know why the sacred feminism is important today. Uh, why women need to know all of this stuff. Uh, make it really relevant because it is so relevant. It is uh, lost knowledge, uh, like we're talking about uh, with Shelley, our guest today. So anyway, uh, this renewal retreat, um, I'll just read uh, a little piece of how they describe it. They say, come with us as we embark on a profound journey of releasing, revitalizing, and realizing our true potential. Immerse yourself in the supportive embrace of Mother Nature as we engage in the art of letting go of what no longer serves us to create space for the lives we have always dreamed of. Uh, They are going to teach a lot of great stuff at this workshop and uh, will retreat and uh, give you tools to take home so that you can actually continue this journey. Um, You know, these are not one and done sort of things that uh, you're going to be taking part in at this retreat. It's it's a lifestyle journey. It's a process. And, uh, you know, uh, you should go and uh, check out the the organizer, uh, get in contact with her. She will give you their website. Uh, Her email address uh, is Kate Bostwick at gmail.com, and uh, she spells her name C A T E B O S T W I C K at gmail.com. And one last thing before we get back to Shelley and this awesome conversation I'm having with her. This is from Jonathan Nightshade, a Gardnerian high priest of the White Cross line, a traditional craft practitioner and researcher writing about Joe Carson's book, Celebrate Wildness, Magic, Mirth, and Love on the Feriferia Path. I love this book, how special this work is, and how appreciated. As someone who was young in the 1970s, and through the years only found snippets of information on Feriferia, one of the first modern pagan paths, this book comes as an artistic revelation of the core practices of the way of the goddess and gods, reborn for the next age of the Divine Maiden. She has clearly introduced the historical background, philosophy and ritual practices of the joyous wilderness mysteries of the fairy faith, illuminated by the marvelous pagan art of Feriferia's founder, Fred Adams. I was very pleased that the high-quality production of this oversized volume makes it a collectible work of art, as well as a testament to the visionary philosophy of Fred Adams. I feel blessed that I received a copy. I will treasure it and look forward to the next book for more of the deep philosophy and ritual practice of Feriferia. Celebrate Wildness is a dense, art book quality, hardcover book. You can get it for just $45 from the Feriferia website at feriferia.org. That's F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A dot org. Well, we're back uh, with Shelley Enteen, and uh, she uh, is an author, interfaith minister, Celtic practitioner, educator, healer, 
uh, living in South Carolina, if you can believe it. And um, she has uh, written the uh, trilogy, Revealing the Druid Legacy, the Inspired Memoir of a Dark Age Druid Priestess. And we have been talking about the Druids and Priestesses and uh, uh, the real stuff that was happening, not the distorted uh, disinformation that has come down to us um, because of all of the conditioning and disinformation Christianity um, you know did to uh, the past and the writings and uh, and all of that so Shelley um, I guess um, I wanted to ask a little bit more about the women um, how you know and I realize that could probably you know we could talk about that for just an hour but you know maybe some of the the high points you know life for women before versus after Christianity um, how was that different and what can these practices from these women these druid priestesses uh, maybe even the women of that day before the dogma of Christianity distorted everything. You know, why is it important? How can it help modern women? Well, I think uh, one of the things we have to do, we have a couple of things. We have a wound in our belief system about our ancestors. We don't realize we carry that, you know. Um, And I think when you find out who they really were, you're healing the wound, of mm-hmm. the distortion. But mm-hmm. the women were, uh, not only were they equal to the men, but it is true that in some areas, in some cultures, in some times, the women would be warriors alongside the male. That's not just in Celtic countries, but Scandinavia and elsewhere, Europe, and all of this stuff can be found in archaeological information but um, Mm -hmm. the other thing that I think was so important was that they were honored as women in the Druid culture for instance there were severe penalties for taking a woman without her consent and having sex with her I mean severe Mm -hmm. like you could lose your life Mm -hmm. Um, they were not involved in virginity issues they were women when they were young they were um, menstruating they were a woman now you know it wasn't Mm -hmm. like they lived a long time and they didn't keep themselves as children (laughs) for very long Um, so they were always engaged with the community and assisting and helping the community the communities were extremely Supportive. Now, we, our communities are so spread out now that it's hard to really sometimes, unless you're in a certain group, connect into the kind of connection that women had to each other. There would be one mm-hmm. or two people who were the healers of the area. I mean, the priest, priestess wasn't always available. Um, somebody knew the herbs. Somebody knew what to do you know, and the midwife and all mm-hmm. of this. So there was always this this culture. But also, for instance, the hand fasting practice, which is the idea of making a vow to be with each other for a year and a day. And if it didn't work out for either of you, you could just simply dissolve the situation. Well, we couldn't do that now because mm-hmm. you could have had a child during that year 
and um, you would be afraid to leave sometimes because you wouldn't have a way to support or something like that in, in our society. But in that society, you were still absorbed into a community. Your child was accepted in the community. It didn't have to be mm-hmm. still, you know, the father would still be connected. You just didn't have to live the life together always. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is also a great respect for the woman, you see, because it could be her right. that said, I don't want to be here anymore, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and this and reminds was, me of some of the matriarchal and matrilineal cultures, too, where, um, you know, all the assets were passed from mother to daughter and, yes, you know, you, property, uh, right. you know, <clears throat> yeah, and the the man and a child's wife was the woman's brother, uh, and uh, this they had this idea that you could I forget what it's called now, um, but you could have lovers. You know, they could come to your house, and uh, you know, you could have lovers, and you could you know have a sexual relationship, and it could be as long or as short as you wanted it to be, and there was mm-hmm. no um, shame in it. Right. There wasn't That's this right. whore label put on you you know i think yes i think that comes out in a certain way in these books there's certain things that uh will show you that you know there is um uh, an energy of acceptance of the physicality of life Mm -hmm. yeah you know and that is part of it i mean you know you're (laughs) as long as you're still a contributing member to the community, you know, like, um, you know, it, it, the worst thing you could do is to betray the community in any way. Mm-hmm. That would be mm-hmm. the, that would be the worst thing, you yeah. know, because it was interactive survival. You know, so if you had a farm you had was having a certain animal on it and the other farm was doing something else, you were going to be interactive. It was all going to come together in the middle, you know, mm-hmm. and be yeah. shared, you know. It was, well, it you was, depended uh, on each other to a certain extent. Exactly. Uh, to a yeah. tremendous extent, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And these these ritual meeting times... Uh, we also had the whole concept of now this is just for the northern hemisphere. I hasten to add um, of and people who have four seasons, so to speak. We actually have um, been taken away from the reality of when they occur, with the idea of the seasons at the solstices and the equinoxes. Um, in the older days, it was based again on the agriculture. So, and we also had the word midwinter and midsummer, you know, famously Shakespeare, Midsummer Night's Dream. This is when I Mm -hmm. first found this out because I was looking up the date of midsummer because of that. And I was surprised to find it was June 21st. That's when summer's supposed to begin. How could this be midsummer? Well, it could be if you were in the agricultural calendar and midwinter would be in the middle of winter because the end of the growing cycle was the last harvest, which was the harvest of the hops and the grapes, and that is November 1st. So now everything, you're not working in the fields anymore. Life is underground now. You're going Mm -hmm. in 
died. You're, you know, so that's how they felt about it. They had um, the new year. Many other cultures do also, starting in November, and okay. winter starting there too. And midwinter was when the sun was going to stop solstice, sun stop, <laughs> for three days on the horizon. And then it will start moving toward the north again, and you will start growing in light. The, the shifts of light, just like in our lunar cycle, are at that full moon, half moon, new moon, and then waxing half moon. Again, it's just like that with the sun. So, you know, in terms of light. So that's a big shift that we were taken away from and also with the Gregorian calendar, which they didn't have. Um, well, you know, know it, it really does highlight for me, and, and I'm sorry, I <clears throat> I started uh, having this coughing attack. It, I was trying yeah. not to. Um, uh, it's okay. But, uh, but you know, it, um, it, it, it reinforces to me how artificial our lives are yeah. exactly. when you think about it. Well, it's artificial, but it's also a disempowerment because you look around, you know, and before it gets to spring, you're already seeing things coming up out of the ground. You know, you're already feeling the greater light. You're already sensing the change. You know, there's some trees are blossoming and everything, but but no, it's still winter (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) until we get to this magical moment, you know. And that's yeah, not official, that's you know <laughs> that's not what our senses are telling us. Yeah. So we're we're encouraged not to pay attention to them. Well, and, and it power. also reminds me too of you know uh, at, when we're supposed to be going down, you know, dormant, going yes. within in the winter. <clears throat> that's right. when we have Thanksgiving and Christmas, and you know, and uh, it you know it it works. You know, these social ideas, right. religious ideas, works against our natural. Um, uh, feeling, sensing, proclivities. That's the word I was looking for. Proclivities. Exactly. And that's why even before, you know, COVID or whatever it is, um, people would traditionally start getting sick then during these holidays mm. because they were pu- pushing harder and eating yeah. different foods and, you know, loading up with, you know, things that right. may not let them rest is easy. So, right. yes, you're absolutely right about that. Indeed. Right. And, yeah. <clears throat> so um, just a little bit about the Druid goddesses. Um, can You know, I would normally be shutting down the show right now, but if you can stay an extra okay. five, ten minutes, um, is, do you have the ability to do that? Okay. I do. Um, I have the ability. I w- okay. Thank you, Shelley. Um, so the, uh, the the Druid goddesses, Rhiannon, Caradwin, um, what should we know about them? You know, and is there disinformation about them too? Okay. Well, the the one disinformation piece that I learned from I have, by the way, at the back of my books, there are resources for people to connect to. If you want to know more about these things, I have some wonderful people. One of them is Christopher Hughes, who's an Anglesey Druid. He, he's a Druid on Anglesey. And he wrote a book called, he has one about Caridwen and, and another one called To the Cauldron Born. 
and this is Caridwyn Smith, but she was not an old witchy hag until the 1600s. And this was when you started having the witch hunts. And the witch Mm -hmm. hunts were really a purge, uh, for one thing, of women who owned land, but also women who were healers. And the men were starting to get more interested in becoming, you know, physicians and doctors and things like that. So Mm -hmm. she has been presented in negative ways that were not there in the past. But the other thing I would say about it, you know, the imagery of the goddess, they they always have her in that young mother cycle or, you know, Mm -hmm. older maiden, younger mother, you know. So that's probably not exactly how they were relating to this as as much as an, an image like that as more of an inner feeling sense, especially the priestesses. Mm-hmm. You'll, you'll find that a lot in the book. Um, but what I learned from Gwilym Morris Baird, who is a resource in the book, and he's in my acknowledgments, <clears throat> was that these goddesses uh, were in that first bit of writing uh, called the Mabinogian, myths of the Mabinogian and it was again it was later it was they don't know for sure but it was either the 1100s or the 1200s and the author is unknown okay um what I was told when I was writing and I was speaking to him about things and taking his classes um they don't know what the names were prior to this But I can tell you for sure that one of the things he said, and I had already picked that up, the mythologies were very disturbing to me. And somehow in my downloaded poem, Rhiannon's Dance, I didn't know anything about her except Stevie Nicks sang a song with that name, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And I had all the imagery and this really strange line in it um, where she says to her, she's dancing with her consort, and she says, you bathe me in beauty, then punish with pain. Before you, I'm naked. My spirit is humble. I choose to forgive you again and again. Okay? Now, this was like, what? You know, like, why would a goddess be saying this? And what Gwilym said one day was, these stories, and they are very powerful teaching stories. They really, really are. I mean, all the myths, even back in the day, the, thing, the stories they would have been listening to at each festival would have been heard at different levels of their life, and new meanings would have come in from these myths to them. They would have been able to connect to things. And it is so with these new myths of the new goddesses, but they are, as Willem said, they are what happened to the goddess when she met the patriarchy. Because there are no, and I mean this, none of that group of goddesses, which you've got Bludeo with, you've got Bronwyn, you know, these are the lesser of the known ones, Caridwyn, Rhiannon, you know, uh, you you are looking at terrible stories of pain and suffering. Yeah, yeah. And you ask yourself, to obliterate... Like, that influence 
so the myths or you're thinking it's you know what the goddess is going through but it's really the shift in religious values from paganism right. to christianity is exactly. that what you're saying i, I am yeah. saying that because you know why are they suffering i mean they're goddesses mm-hmm. Right. I mean, they, right. you know, why yeah. are they in, in this subservient suffering? You know, yeah. Bronwyn is... Yeah, they, sh- is, they sh- yeah. should be more right. powerful than that. They should be able to overcome it or obliterate their, um, you know, the, the, the oppressor or the person um, inflicting harm on them. Yeah, but they but they don't and they can't in these stories. Yeah. So. You know, you, you and and the and the great teacher Caridwin, the whole story of the birth of Taliesin is something we can't get into now, but it is a powerful teaching story. But it makes her look like an evil person, mm-hmm. and she wasn't. She was a great teacher, and I mean, I wow. really somehow I think because I wrote these books. I was able to see through it, but in the Neo-Druid tradition, um, and there's a a wonderful Avalonian oracle um, that has a lot of focus on using the goddess energies um, as a path to self-healing. You know, like kind of going into a descent phase to go deep into it. And then kind yeah. of heal yourself coming out of it. And I think that's a wonderful thing that's necessary for women yeah. now, as you know. So I'm yeah, not to look putting at our it down. And, yeah, right. Yeah. I'm not putting it down because it's something of the culture that was needed. Mm-hmm. But it wouldn't be the way you would have experienced it before that. Yeah. Well, you know, this is this is um, also fascinating, and I guess I'm wondering the people who are practicing Druidism today. Um, I mean, this is a broad question, I guess, and but do your best to answer. Um, it, you know, are they recognizing a lot of the stuff that you're saying right now? You know, that these myths were about you know, fighting patriarchy or being subdued by patriarchy and all of that sort of stuff. Is that coming through in the the neo-Druidism? Well, um, okay. I can't speak totally to it, but I can tell you that I feel, again, uh, the, the Druid practitioner now, Somebody like Philip Cargom, which you can find him on Facebook too. He does tea with the Druid, and you can, you know, have a nice experience with him every week. Um, lovely, they are so lovely. These people, you know, they have a core energy that is, you know, uh, really involved with being a good energy on the planet, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, in the interaction. But they will tell you that they are trying to recreate something. Mm-hmm. They will admit that they are, you know, just struggling to figure out what would what would they have been doing. Right. And right. I think they've got a lot of really good practices. And, you know, they're following the seasonal and everything like that. Um, and, I, again, I think the way they're using the Neo-Druid goddesses is, an, is as a teaching form 
And mm-hmm. I mean, I think that that's also, you know, a good. It's a good thing. I think they're very yeah. aware of it because they know there was no book, and you will find druids arguing with each other frequently because somebody will say something about the OM alphabet, which is the, the lines, you know, long straight line and how many lines are coming out on the sides it involves uh, the trees. And somebody will say, well, you know, they didn't use that because, you know, that was a book by so-and-so in 18-something or other. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean that they weren't using that. It means that perhaps he brought that back, just like right. I brought right. back these teachings that I didn't know. Yeah, you know, I didn't know this. So, so Shelley, let me ask you. Um, all right, you're, you're living in South Carolina, um, yeah. and you know, I actually almost moved there. We were thinking about South Carolina before we did Southern mm-hmm. Oregon. If I didn't know you were there, it might have made a difference. You could have come. Um, you could still do it. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, I guess I wonder. Or you, you know, I mean, it's such an evangelical state. Um, are you, you know, at any risk there, or are you? I mean, do you feel like you have this bubble this of protection point, around you? Or? Well, at this point, I'm not. We can all we can all pray our way into. We don't ever have to be in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I really, I'm in the foothills of the Blue Ridge. I'm I'm about an hour from Asheville. There's a huge, these mountains are full of priestesses. There are more earthy priestesses. They're herbalists, you know, and there are people Mm -hmm. certifying priestesses. You know, I have a few thoughts about that. But, um, you know, this is uh, an area that when I first got up here, it was like Bob Jones. Um, but it has started to shift. There's a lot of different energy coming in from other states. It's growing too fast here. I'm like in, in the Greenville, South Carolina area. Um, and so I'm not really experiencing it now, but it is still uh, like, why am I here? And I think really um, I am here because it gave me the right space to sink in and finish these books. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I yeah. don't know how long I will be here in in this particular area. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe it will not be my final place to live, you know. But interestingly yeah. enough, I have I didn't know that when I came here, but a cousin of mine did our uh, genealogy, and uh, there is a family, the three brothers from my mother's side came into Jamestown, Virginia, and they were not indentured, and they came down through the Carolinas and into Georgia, and some of them went hmm. out to Texas. I didn't know this, but the friend who moved up here who I came to visit lived right around the corner from a, a road that's the surname, and there were, there are, the name is in the churchyard, so wow. I came to a DNA location. Interesting. Interesting. We think we know what we're Um, doing, but we never really do. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you're making me wonder. I I should probably have something like that done myself because um, I wonder why I'm here. And, uh, you know, and, uh, well, you know, I I don't want to go in that direction right now. But Mm -hmm. but I I have also wondered, how did I end up here? What is that about? Uh, Because it is such an odd place for me to be, 
you know. Well, um, one of the things I did here was clear family karma. Mm. I, okay. I think that's one of the reasons I was here, because they had a big enough farm to have a few roads named after them. People were going yeah. to them. That's what the roads are, you know, on your way to so-and-so. Yeah. Um, and so they obviously they had slaves, and the, I'm in the area where I'm on Cherokee land, and uh, the removal, okay. you know, um, my house is on mm-hmm. a Cherokee farm. Uh, all the houses around here are Cherokee farmland. So yeah. there is a debt to pay, and I've done some clearing of that family yeah. karma also. So, Shelley, let me ask you, you know so much about so many different things, um, and I know you have your own group there, it seems like, from what I read in your bio. Um, do you teach beyond that? I mean, are you, do you have online classes available? Uh, do you do a newsletter? I mean, how, uh, yes. besides well, your books, can... and maybe your books themselves are enough, you know, but... Well, um, let me just say this. Somebody who's read mm -hmm. the books wants me to do Mm -hmm. a workshop on the elements based on the books. All right, Mm -hmm. so that's something that I will be putting together. I have been inundated with all the self-publishing for like over a year and a half. So a lot of my other things have receded for a time. But I do teach, I do mentorship, and I do speak on these topics like astrology. I did a an eclipse talk, um, and you can find me uh, on Facebook, and my website, ShellyAnteen.com, has a blog, and um, Facebook has an author page also, and I I have email lists for those things, so people will find out um, when things get going, and I can start moving into that realm again. I would be Good. happy well, to. Yeah, well, and I mean, I know what it takes, you know, to to try to get traction on books, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. especially if we don't have a team, right? And it's just us. Right. Uh, we can only yeah. do, do so much as as one human, uh, and just right. you know, learning the technology. I mean, I had to go in yeah. and learn Canva and Instagram and all sorts of stuff, yeah. and uh, it's yeah. just overwhelming, and it takes away from your creativity. You know, it feels like it takes mm-hmm. away from what you're really supposed to be doing, you know. Yes, um, it does, but it's it's inevitable now, This in this day and age, you right. know. Um, you know, if you're <clears throat> going to go to my Amazon, you've got to really, you know, push yourself because I think they said something like a thousand new books upload every day. Yeah, and with AI, it's probably just going to be worse. Well, Shelley, I, I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed chatting with you. Um, you know, I, I really you. feel connected to your journey and your work and um, uh, your awareness of your claircognizance. Um, I am just, um, you know, I, I am a, I, uh, kudos to you, kudos to you. Well, um, to you. So, <laughs> Well, and, you know, so we have to wrap this up at this point, but we, sh- I, I mean it, we should talk about you coming back and we'll figure out, a t- you know, a topic, okay. maybe what we didn't get a chance to go into deeply, because uh, I know mm-hmm. I had a whole list of questions here and I'm not sure we got right. to everything. Right. Um, but I want to give you the last word. I mean, was there anything um, that you really just want to say today that I didn't think to ask you? I want to give you the final wrap. Well, I think I will say that it has never been more important 
for the divine feminine to be reclaimed by women and people who identify with the feminine quality, not just women. I have wonderful reviews from men reading these books. Mm -hmm. I would encourage you to read the books, not just for my sake, (laughs) but for the sake of the fact that she came in to give this message to you. She says, Mm -hmm. at the end of her opening, she says, I will tell my story and you will know it is true, for it is your own, a memory awakening in the crystals of your bones. That's mm. what it's doing. It's giving. It's empowering yeah. you. And so I really, yeah. really uh, would love for you to start the journey with the last priestess and then priestess of the realms and then the priestess of the prophecy. And uh, mm. I really encourage it. Well, uh, well, Shelley, I have to tell you, uh, like I said, you know, I am not Celtic-oriented for some reason when I got drawn to all of this. It was the Egyptian and Middle Eastern pantheon yes. that really pulled me. But right. I will tell you, you are really tempting me. <laughs> and uh, I, I think I'm going to try to make space for this. Um, and I, I just I want to love uh, to hear your with, thoughts. Okay. Now, if you are I, reading, I would love you. to hear them. Thank you. Uh, and, you know, one final thing I keep, you know, I, I feel like it's pressing on my brain. Ask her, ask her, ask her. Um, <clears throat> you're an astrologer. Um, yeah. What do you, have you looked into, say, the next year or two here in the United States? Um, <laughs> are things going to get better for people like us? I mean, are we going to put down this sort of right-wing insurgency um you know i mean what do you think uh you know what have you read let's put it that way okay one of the things that has happened for the united states is that we went through a pluto return uh we're just ending a pluto return and that is the planet of transformation and the beginning when we began it was in capricorn and that's where it's just getting ready to leave and be in aquarius Um, We were going to have to transform in some kind of a new way. We were going to have to start a new path. And we had a Saturn-Pluto conjunction in Capricorn in 2020, which was the end of a paradigm. And the paradigm that was ending was patriarchy. So, and hierarchical thought, because that's where we believe that we're at the top of the totem pole and men are higher than women and certain men are higher than others, right? So, this is Aristotelian and Plato. So we are having this huge task to move through that, and the old way is fighting tooth and nail, okay? I mean, in, in yeah. a way that has never been seen before. The main thing I would say is that there's every hope, because evolution is usually what takes place. So if you go into despair about the things that you're seeing, if you go into fear about them, just remember, thought directs energy, energy follows thought. Where thought is held, energy is focused. So what you want to always do, because it happens every day to us, several times a day, freak out time comes. (laughs) Go Mm -hmm. back in and take your power back. And look ahead and say, what would I rather see than this? What do I want to see? That is your power. Fear weakens us. 
So the the coming eclipses are going to clobber some people that you may wish to see clobbered. That's all I can say. <laughs> I don't want to get into the details, but let's just say no, I, think I got it. <laughs> they're not going to have a good time, you know. And um, I think that we have a few big heroes that are out there right now. Huge, courageous heroes. Okay. And let's empower them. Let's send them energy. Even if you don't know who they yeah. are, energy to my heroes. Yeah. 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 And, I, <laughs> and I, I think a lot of those heroes are actually sheroes. Um, I think yes. there are some incredibly powerful women oh, out absolutely. there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, who the word have is more yes. courage than men. You know. Absolutely. I mean, there are people yeah. standing up and fighting, and that's yeah. what we need. And I, you know. Again, I think eventually evolution wins. The last time we had that conjunction was in the middle of the 1500s, and that's when Henry VIII broke with the Church of Rome, and Martin Luther did. Now, that was unheard of, and they kept trying to you know, stop that from happening. Elizabeth I had assassinations attempts on her like crazy. She was amazingly saved from all of them. But who, this who isn't going to, it's not just a overnight thing, unfortunately. Uh, no, who was saved from assassination? Elizabeth I of England. Oh. You know, they okay, kept Elizabeth wanting to put a, a Catholic monarch back on the throne. So, you know, that people were trying to get rid of her. Uh, yeah. Literally. Yeah. <clears throat> so um, uh, do you think uh, we have to worry about Trump being back in the White House? I'll just say it. Well, you can say it, and I will say that from what I see, no. But on the other hand, you know, we're typically, you know, it's hard for us to be objective when we're looking at things. But people have seen his solar return, and it doesn't look like the solar return of someone who won anything. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, well, and that's what I'm seeing, too. You know, that's what I'm seeing, too, and I've really, it it has bolstered me. Um, And I really do think things are changing. Um, I've come to believe that all of the ugliness we see out there in the world, um, it's almost as if it's been a tool of the universe to say, okay, so who do you want to be, you know? Right. This is the ugliness that lives out there. Is that, um, you, you know, this is your choice. And um, because I think That's we've, right. you know, really become too complacent, um, you yeah. know, um, living in a democracy isn't a spectator sport. <laughs> right, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> well, I well, agree. Shelley, and, thank and, you. Well, I'm so yeah, happy to have been here with you. Well, me, me too. I've, I've enjoyed this tremendously, and um, I'm glad we connected. I forget now how we did, but, you know, the universe made it happen. And, yep. um, you know, let's, uh, let's make sure we stay in touch. This isn't like a, yeah. you know, a, a Los Angeles plastic let's do lunch. <laughs> I really do mean it. <laughs> Good. I'm and, glad. I'd um, be happy to. We'll see, we'll see where it goes. All right, Shelley, okay. thank you. You, you, you have a, um, you know, really, a really great week, and uh, best of luck to you with your books. Um, thank you. I, yeah, I mean, I think uh, there's, there's going to be so much in those books. Uh, we'll probably just eat them up like comfort food. 
some people do. So, <laughs> so thank you for your efforts. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. Okay, bye-bye. All right. So one last thing uh, before I go, and thank you if you're still with me uh, because uh, we went long today, but I think it was really well worth it. Uh, But I don't have much time left, and I have to squeeze one more thing in. So here goes before I say goodbye. Let me say a few things about Joe Carson's film, Dancing with Gaia, an exploration of Earth-based spirituality shot at sacred sites around the world. Here is Drusilla Pettibone on DearMist.com. I was truly touched and even awed by the film. I really appreciate that there is so much substantive information to digest. For example, the info about hinges and tracing the horizon line is all new to me and totally fascinating. The film was very beautiful, and I was amazed how it was able to capture so many of the descriptions visually and seamlessly connect vintage footage with modern. I especially loved when images were dynamically superimposed on each other, like the lace with the water and the dancing in the flowering meadow. A visual feast, and with so many layers. I am also pleased to have been introduced to Monica Shu and her work. It's so important for pagans to become aware of our heritage. It seems easily lost among so many new books, and the film really brought me home in a new way. Dancing with Gaia is available at dancingwithgaia.com. So today is a day of many firsts, <clears throat> and uh, I see someone is still hanging on the switchboard there uh, from the area code uh, 929. So I'm going to just take a quick minute and see if uh, there's a quick question, uh, because we only have three more minutes and we're going to be cut off the air. So um, did you have a question for one of us, listener? Hello? Are you there? Okay, well, they are being quiet or maybe they walked away. So anyway, thank you, dear listeners. Uh, I sure appreciate your listener loyalty. And as we always do, um, we're going to say goodbye with an homage to Sephmet, the lion-headed Egyptian goddess, who, remember, she teaches us to stand up, to speak out, to have courage, have tenacity, to be resilient, and especially she teaches us to have healthy boundaries without shame or guilt. Uh, So, to Sekhmet.